Between Chicago and the West Coast, you won't find a violin shop with a more finely curated selection of instruments and bows than Claire Givens Violins in Minneapolis. The Givens team is made up of knowledgeable players who take pride in helping their customers find the right instrument or bow. Their international reputation is founded upon a commitment to maintaining high levels of expertise, craftsmanship, and relationships with customers spanning across generations. Every instrument and bow offered at Claire Givens Violins is set up in their very own workshop by an experienced team of restorers and makers under the longtime expert leadership of Douglas Lay. Need a checkup or a more extensive restoration? The workshop is known for its attention to sound and response, and players come from all over for this unmatched level of precision and care. If you're an early music player, check out Dipper Restorations, where world-renowned restorer and scholar Andrew Dipper specializes in the restoration of historical musical instruments and the making of historic replica bows. Need a checkup? Looking for an upgrade? Check out GivenViolins.com. They look forward to seeing you. This is Omo. 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 Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Omo and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm reasonably sure when this comes out that it will be around Valentine's Day. I'm Jerry Lynn coming to you today from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and I'm joined by for the first time introducing her as this in public for the show anyway, Rosie Deloach Zimmerman. Hi. Hi, Jerry. I'm Rosie Deloach Zimmerman. Welcome to Omo. (laughs) (laughs) Not now, Chris. You're too early. Yeah, you're not here yet. The hyphen is hilarious. No, it's not. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, and it has allusions toward uh, woodworking. So you you shut your mouth. And it's going to look amazing on an instrument label someday. It, it will. Someday. Yes. Someday. <laughs> Anyhow, today we're here to celebrate, or maybe not celebrate, maybe examine the past five years of OMO. Can you believe that we've been doing this for five years? I can, and I can't. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a lifetime and like yesterday all at once. I mean, we survived COVID in there. Yeah. Uh, We've had a lot of personal changes. Businesses have grown. Businesses have done whatever. I don't know. But it's, it's been a lot. I've had all the personal changes and, and yeah. And, uh, oh my gosh, all the ups and downs of COVID. I went back and looked back looked at our episodes and there was like a six, seven month break there that we just, we just couldn't produce stuff, but we came back and we survived and we're still making this thing for five years. It's it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. So I find anniversaries, birthdays, big life moments. It's great to look back and examine, you know, what you're doing, where you've come from how things have gone. And I want you to think back to when we very first, the first time we ever hit record, it wasn't for episode one. It was for this thing that 
uh, it was a mic test. Like we were trying to figure out Zencaster and our microphones. Yeah. And so we just kind of treated it as, as a little episode and we called it episode zero. We kind of outlined our hopes and our dreams and what we wanted to accomplish. And I think it's really worthwhile that we ask our amazing editor, Mr. Jason Peebles, to rewind the tape all the way back to episode zero. Not that the kids today have any idea what please be kind rewind means or know what tape is. They'll never know the joys of sticking the pencil into the cassette to rewind it manually. It's all digital. But anyway, Jason, hit it. Right now you're listening to Omo Behind the Scenes. My name is Jerry Lynn. I'm here with Chris Jacoby and Rosie DeLoach. And I wanted to know why they wanted to create a podcast about the violin industry. So, Chris, what made you want to do a podcast about the violin industry? I wanted to do a violin industry podcast not only because I was surprised when I realized there wasn't one, um, but I find in my interactions with people from media or who are doing video projects or violinists or even even young violin makers that um their expectations for the wild rabid romance of this industry um aren't met by the job i do every day and while there is a great deal of of joy and love and amazing things that that go into changing your life so you sit down and you serve instruments day after day um there is a lot that belies that romance and i think that all of us live in it together and share this disappointed feeling with ourselves versus the standard we imagine and never speak to one another about it and i was mm -hmm. hoping we could talk mm -hmm. about it that's lovely. Okay. Yeah. Rosie, same well, question. What made yeah. you want to be? Well, in... as some, yeah, as someone who's been in the industry for 15 years now, it's easy to feel like someone on the outside looking in at all the experts, myself, not being conventionally trained, not going to school to become a luthier. There's a lot of anxiety feeling that you don't match up to the real people in this industry. And uh, I think that, I believe, as I've gotten to know more and more people in this field, that that's pretty universal. A lot of us feel that way. Whether we've gone to school for this or not, we're all holding ourselves up to standards of uh, the greatest people ever and throughout all of history of violin making. And they themselves probably had neurosis yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 So maybe uh, we can, we can share that imposter syndrome as a place yeah. to be excellent from while we're telling good stories. That sounds yeah. great. What sort of things can we hope to expect in our first run of episodes? Fantastic jokes. <laughs> I've, I've heard jokes. them. Uh, Chris being inappropriate. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I, you got to do what you're good at, Rosie. 
I've, I've great been... interviews. Um, people in the field who are easy to talk to and know a lot and uh, have interesting things to say. Excellent. I've I've brushed up on my history. We've got a lot of interesting characters throughout the past. Uh, We've got a lot of interesting characters throughout the history of violin making that we're going to cover and hopefully give you guys a fresh perspective on them. You'll learn that Jerry Lynn has a weird obsession with squirrels in the process. Yeah. Yeah. We can't stop him. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know what to say to that. So my (laughs) own interest in being involved with this is... Uh, everything that both of you have said rings true with me as well. As I've met more and more people and people tell me more and more stories of, of how they feel inadequate and uh, of perhaps some of the, the things that aren't going quite right in the system today that I believe that we're on the, the cusp of having some really wonderful changes happen. And I'd like yeah. to be a catalyst to help make that happen. Yeah, and I, I feel like more and more, um, and I got to spend a wonderful week this summer with the two of you guys in Oberlin, Ohio, at a restoration workshop. Um, and I feel like more and more the spirit of that place, where everyone is there to help and to help educate and raise the standard and have us all doing the best work possible is permeating more into the other parts of the industry, into what we publish how we speak to one another, um, how we take people seriously or not, and even to something as banal as how people talk about each other at the bar after an event and how derisive versus inclusive people have been in, in, in just my 20 years in the business. It's mm. the change has been marked and it has been really positive and uh, I'm glad to be part of it with you guys. That's great. I also look forward to just explaining to hopefully a wider audience uh, what it is, what's it, what is involved in being a luthier? What does that job look like? Uh, it's n- not quite as mysterious as people make it to be. And if anybody who has some curiosity about that world or woodworking or is a violinist and wants to know what happens to their instrument when it goes to the shop, hopefully we can shed some light on what that is all about. And when you say woodworking, Hood? I, th- I want to whistle. <laughs> whistle. Woodworking. Okay. Well. <laughs> Any other questions for us? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. Who the f*** is Omo? Yeah, we do need to say a little bit about him. He's leaving space so he can cut me out. (laughs) Good job. Good job, Jerry. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, we can we can keep the f bomb if you no design. no I don't no I'm I'm blushing. You guys can't see me, but I'm blushing. I shouldn't have f bombed. <laughs> so I figured that question is answered by episode one. Okay. Yes. That's why I I didn't think it was necessary. And welcome back, everyone, to the current Omo. 
And we have with us a special guest that you could definitely not figure out from uh, before that tape. Uh, the one, the only, Christopher Jacoby. Welcome back to Omaha. I'm still here. I never <laughs> left. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice again. It's good to see your face. Yeah, Chris. Thanks for inviting me, you guys. Yeah, we see each other's faces now. There's video. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things yeah. that have been upgraded yeah. through the years. Yeah, I mean, uh, our listeners have don't see our face. Thank God. I mean, I think that you look so cuddly. Well, so it's the beard. Cuddly. The yeah. beard that was that was a COVID thing. It's and your aura. It kind of it kind of stuck since COVID, and mm-hmm. I'm just rolling with it. You're almost at the point where like <clears throat> eating soup or runny eggs is dangerous. It, it definitely is. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, beard life. Okay, okay. I'll let, yeah, I'll, st- I'll stop. Rosie, what's up? <laughs> that could what be a whole doing? new podcast. You got a hyphen. Life. You, I got, you a, got hyphen a hyphen. And yeah, with an awesome, awesome dude. Um, life is Brian good. Brian seems cool. You know, he's wonderful. Uh, you know, I still live in Texas. That's kind of a weird thing, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Caraway Strings has been good to me, and uh, um, I've got lots to be thankful for around here. Uh, so, you know, let's dive in. Uh, we we said a lot of things uh, five years ago about what we wanted this <laughs> podcast to be. And so basically what we want to know is, did, did we do it? Did we succeed in our own expectations? Uh, you mentioned expectations, Chris, uh, of people's expectations of romance and how that does not match up with daily life in this industry. Yeah. How we, uh, I, I think I, I said in that clip, we all live in it together, but we share disappointment about not meeting the the expectations of romance. Um, yeah. And I think really I, I wanted us to talk about the fact that None of us talked about that. We all just got together and knocked heads and talked about whether we were selling stuff and how things were going. And just to have a a baseline where it was understandable how much uh, the things we were expecting weren't met by uh, our day-to-day experience. Um, And I'm listening to Omo since uh, I, I bowed out. Uh, you know, what it was a year and a half ago. Was it 14 years ago? Um, you guys have, <laughs> you didn't need to pivot. You just carried on with the excellent writing, the excellent coverage, the excellent, um, I almost said employees, the excellent guests. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's still something that when I meet people for the first time, they first say hello and then they tell me how important Omo has been for them to feel welcome in a career where we are alone all the time. You know, even if we work with other people, we're alone with our value as makers on the bench in front of us, how we're doing that day. Um, People thank me for that. Um, And I'd like to thank you two hapless hippies for, uh, and Jason, you as well. And uh, I mean, everybody, of course, you know, uh, for for doing it with me so that I get that little bit of a serotonin boost when I see somebody yeah. and, and have a talk with them about how they're doing for the first time. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. And I, I get the same, uh, which is amazing because when 
I first, when we recorded episode zero, I talked a lot about being someone on the outside and looking in and feeling that, that way, does not ring true for me, feeling that way. Yeah. yeah it, it doesn't ring true at all anymore, especially since so many people say, thank you for making it, making us feel welcome. And, um, yeah, my view of the industry has shifted as I have become more familiar with the people in it and all the different ways that it runs. Uh, I, I feel more and more responsible for representing people well, every opportunity that I get. I feel like this is, this is a really honor bound position. Uh, and, uh, I, while I don't know all the things, I am not the expert on every little thing. Uh, I want to make sure that there's room for everybody here. Uh, and yeah, I'm happy to be a part. Did you find that a lot of people felt like outsiders, regardless if if they were or not? I mean, that's a pretty universal thing. At least I, I run into people that I have a lot of respect for, and I think that they they struggle with that too. Did you find that what people were saying, people you didn't expect? God, yes. <laughs> Everyone except for the absolute sociopaths, and I can count them on two hands, but yes. <laughs> the folks with gold medals in their yeah. underpants, they feel the same way, yeah. that they're they're constantly one slip away from being exposed as the the hack they really are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. that's... I, I know some pretty pretty famous people that they still suffer from that. And if they don't, they're probably lying. Mm. You know? I know a lot of people that are like, no, I'm fine. And it's like, no, you're not fine. <laughs> look at let's take a look at your fingernails. How close to the quick are there? Are they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're let's just take responsibility for solving this thing. Okay. We we did it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Omo did it. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Racism is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong, the wrong show, Chris. Oh, it's really the wrong show. Sorry. I mixed my dates up. Oh, I'd be wearing different clothes for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So we listed a lot of things in episode zero. And so let's go through that checklist and see if we did what we aim to do. So first up, did we overcome our imposter syndrome? I honestly uh, feel better. <laughs> and uh, since Omo, I feel better. Um, mm. And, you know, coming to talking about starting Omo with you guys, and then Rosie, there was the trip where I was in Tahoe with my family and I was texting you while I, I drew stuff out like I was kind of frantic about feeling better about my place in the industry now did we do better for everyone people that I never had a connection with and as Jerry said people that I respect sometimes that I'm surprised are listening because I consider in my imposter syndrome that they're in a different sphere of influence mm -hmm. than me have come back and told me how important it's mm -hmm. been to them to let go of what they were taught by their teachers about, about the toxic way that you deal with your peers, about the, the way that you support and protect yourself by being crass and rude and, and overbearing and, and 
making other people feel small that they have let some of that go. So did I overcome my imposter syndrome? Um, I can't get rid of it, but I don't believe it. And uh, Omo was, was huge for that. With imposter syndrome, I recall having a feeling often five years ago of not knowing and being afraid of not knowing and feeling cagey about what I didn't know. And it feels so good to let that go. It feels so good to go to Oberlin this year and, you know, Elian is showing me a certain way of holding a scroll with her elbows tucked because that's the way they learned in Mittenwald, I believe. Yeah, Miracor. Miracor, thank you. Don't thank insult you. her like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, and I can say, thank you. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, and I uh, feel like I am free to learn and free to not know. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't make me lesser. That's really fun. Because you're not nervous about yeah. belonging at the table. Yeah. 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 And that's really lovely. Uh, imposter syndrome is never a hundred percent gone. There's, you know, looking back on these five years, I see the things that I wanted to accomplish. I think I did accomplish good things, but I'm like, yeah, didn't finish that violin, still working on that violin. So there's always like, there's a record of things undone. Uh, but it, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't pain me. <laughs> Right on. It's, it's helped me a lot. You know, I mean, like, just like both of you guys, I mean, I still suffer from it. It's helped me a lot, partially because I find myself in positions of, of leadership. And I've learned a lot more that uh, since doing OMO, that a leader isn't somebody who knows everything. A leader is somebody who creates a safe space for others to do their best. And yes, that you know, Omo has certainly taught me that. And so I think that we've definitely dealt with the imposter syndrome, at least for ourselves. And hopefully other people have come along for the ride. Nice. Yeah. Did we cover people in history? Well, did we? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> we started to, I read a lot of books at, at the beginning, but then, you know, but life, man, uh, all the other things. Well, your writing was always excellent. Excellent writing, yeah. And oh, you were you. excited about the writing. And then yeah. we have things that are happening in in real time in the industry, so we'd go after them. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't need. I mean, history is wonderful. I love historians. Yeah. I love all the writing. We've got Linda in Australia. She's yeah, it down there. Yeah, yeah. She does amazing. Omo Omo is the room of requirement for Luther. You know, like the room in Harry Potter where they just shows up and there's a desk or a toilet or whatever. We're that. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? Are you a Harry Potter fan? Uh, I mean, ostensibly, yes. Okay. The room <laughs> like of Hermione on a beach. You know. Fighting people with a wand? Let's go. Okay. The room of requirement is this room that just shows up where there's anything you can need in it. And we're kind of like that as far as dealing with the topics of today. It's is this a room that's everywhere? It can be where within within Hogwarts. Okay. All right. Enough nerddom. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what What is the name of Linda's podcast? I It's 
um, the violin chronicles the violin chronicles uh there are so many people in this industry who are really good at history and and if that is the itch you need scratched she does such a good job oh she's killer yeah yeah, yeah. she's it's it's a it's so intensive that um I have to listen to it in pieces sometimes because I'm like, okay, so the costumes they were wearing and the things that were on the carriages, they were, okay, I need a break. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> but no, she's she's thorough and she's, fa- I, that sounded like a dig. I'm sorry. Not at all. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. Uh, did we change how we talk about each other in this industry at the bar? That was one you brought up, Chris. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel that's more positive, too. Yeah. And uh, I don't feel like uh, when I was at the VSA in Baltimore, which was a remarkably positive, inclusive VSA, um, I didn't feel like I was looking out for people that were alone to mm-hmm. go find them and make sure they were OK. I felt like uh, everybody was uh, doing a good job of that. And that's always what I've wanted to see. I mean, uh, as Jason Peoples pointed out to me a couple of years ago, if everyone's following the rules, I want to mess stuff up. If everybody is not doing well or isn't treating everyone well, then I want to be the voice of of people that that need more attention and need a little bit of care, you know. Um, and I felt like the the students, the the new hires who were there and had you know spent two thousand dollars to go be frightened mm-hmm. in an industry that they're not sure supports them that everybody there um was being included and taken care of and mm-hmm. that's rad yeah i think so I, I i think i think at least within the sphere of people that we have contact with i think that we have made a positive improvement i don't know enough about what the industry was like before uh but my experience in talking with people is I, I want to see their best parts. I want to, I want them to be able to bring out their best parts. I want them to feel included. And I get a good, strong sense of that energy whenever I am in the community. Good. Good. So we've been patting each other on the back a lot, you guys. What (laughs) haven't we done in or outside of our mission statement? Mm. What, what haven't we done? Or what did we hope for Omo that, um, you know, could be put on the table and attacked? I don't think we, for lack of a better way of put this, I don't think we pissed enough people off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was, and that that's partially, I'll partially take blame for that because there was a lot of times where I would look through an outline and I would say, no, we can't ask this person that question no, we can't phrase it like this. No, we can't do that. And it was all from a perspective of safety. Mm-hmm. Word. Yeah. And safety and not pissing people off kind of, you know, if you want to enact change, you don't do it by being comfortable. Yeah. That's great, Jerry. You know what? I've thought about this a lot over the years because as much as we want to be journalists of the industry, we can't fully step out of it because uh, it's our jobs. Mm-hmm. We want to continue to work in this field. We mm-hmm. want to be able to continue to have good connections with people. And so it's not ever going to be completely pure 
of like journalistic, what is the word when you're not partisan? Bipartisan. What is it? What is the word? Fear. <laughs> Journalistic integrity. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's right um, or not. And we try, but we're we're very close to all all of it. <laughs> um, okay. Did we answer? Who the f- is Omo? <laughs> yeah, I think we did. I think Omo is all of us. Aww. <laughs> He's not just Strad's least likely son. You know what? I um I had a new thought about Omo Bono and it's and and I'm going to say it and then I'm going to never mention it again cuz it's kind of against what our podcast is. Uh-oh. <laughs> so when we were first exploring this theme of inclusion of everybody that we're all good enough and Omo fit the bill of like just not being good enough because he's Strad's son but still perfectly fine. Um, I've had this thought in later years because my thinking has been more about like, how does my team work well? And how does team Omo work well? And I thought, what if he was just a bad team player? Yeah. What if he was the worst? (laughs) And that's why his dad didn't like him. What if the whole thing in the will was because he was an absolute churl and deserved all of this? Like, he didn't deserve any of the tools. And that's why his dad is like, remember that money you gambled when you were a teenager? I still remember that, you punk. And maybe... I love that because we're we're like, now, isn't it romantic that we can reclaim this poor lost soul? And he was like, stealing 20s out of his dad's workbench and like <laughs> and he's just he's just enduring or the or strat is just enduring his son he's like fine you can keep working for me whatever <laughs> wait till i die you'll get yours <laughs> um guys what have you learned being a part of team omo these last five years jerry uh, You've learned patience with me. I love you. <laughs> I think I've I've um, I've learned. This is going to sound really sappy and really corny, but I think I've learned how to be friends with people I normally wouldn't necessarily be friends with. Not that I wouldn't, not that I don't appreciate you guys, and I wouldn't socialize with you normally. But you know, you're people that I wouldn't necessarily phone up out of the blue and say, "Hey, how's it going?" Because even though we do similar things. Uh, we're not cool enough for you. No, stop <laughs> it. We're, we're not the same sort of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. I've had the same, I've had discussions about you, Jerry, because you, you, uh, <laughs> you, you're a different drumbeat than I am. And over the years, I've come to have, mad respect for the way that you operate. It's amazing oh, what you can likewise, do. You likewise. do things that I can't do. Um, but I don't know that I would ever just like pulled up a chair and be like, this is my new buddy. And yeah. I'm so glad that uh, I'm so glad that you're in my life. Really. Am. For sure. Likewise. <laughs> like there's things that I'm like, I wonder what Rosie would think about this. And I've actually come to rely on you because you think totally differently than what I do. And that's, that's amazing. Oh, it's been you. a huge life lesson working with you guys and thank you for helping me remember the correct order of things because i forget (laughs) (sighs) 
mnemonic devices. That's how uh, I harassed Jerry at the VSA. He was doing trivia. Um, he didn't deserve me in the front row, but he got me there. I did. Um, and they asked what the four cities that uh, that Guad worked in were. Um, and I had to yell at him. I said it was five. And why do I know that? Because I had a mnemonic device, the order that things go. So that please is... make please make Charlie play in tune. So that is what That's... you've learned in the last five years. Yes, <laughs> mnemonic devices. Well, what well, and you know what I've what I've learned in the last five years in as it pertains to this. I'm wasting your guys' time. I'm sorry. Um, is that uh, I loved doing this. Um, I hope you guys will keep asking me to come back. Um, uh, I would like to be part of OMO, um, and I'm very, very proud of OMO and of uh, what you guys have done to, to make it run on its own and with a community since I left. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What do you want the next five years to look like? Well... Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, that's what I got. My hair is silver. It's gone silver. What's next? That's the next five Gout? years. Uh, <laughs> My okay. I want fresh blood. Yes, literally. Blood. Mm. Yes. Uh, you've been hyphenated. You're hungry. Yeah. There's how many members of Team Member? There's six. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, there's yeah, six. I think so. And um. I believe that the key long-term for OMO is to keep on having new people come in and be a part and learn how to interview and learn how to tell stories. And when you get in fresh blood, like for instance, Brandon Godman, he brought a totally different flavor to this. uh, He's tasty, tasty flavor. (laughs) And uh, you know, the next person will have, uh, more understanding of history or more identification expertise or et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we keep this going. So uh, we want more people to be involved in the upcoming years. There will be a day where um, I will pass on the torch to somebody else. That will happen at some point. And um, also on this note, uh, our wonderful editor, Jason Peoples, needs extra help. If you out there are interested in learning how to edit or you like to edit and would like to get involved, we would love to have you on Team OMO. Love to have you. Now, the thing is, one of the things that that gives us a unique sound is, even though it might not seem like it, we're very polished. Jason polishes absolutely everything. Yeah, He takes out ums, ahs, clips, clicks. He combines sentences together to make thoughts make sense. And he is the, he's the James Brown of Omo. He is the hardest working man of Omo. Exactly. (laughs) And he needs, he needs help, Mm -hmm. but you've really, but not just like personally, like in this capacity. No, I mean, Jason could always use somebody to buy him a beer and a taco. But aside from that, like he needs somebody who, if you think you have what it takes, if you think that you can, you can produce a show on par the way Jason does or want to learn and be really serious about it, please reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, we have coming up next month. Elizabeth 
Perry and Catherine Kidwell are going to be co-hosts. And we haven't quite finalized the guest, but it looks like it's going to be another all-female luthier episode, which I'm super stoked about. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just uh, a reminder, we we really, we would really like editing help. Please reach out to us. Um, our email address is... Mm, <laughs> Mail at omopod.com. Our email address is mail at omopod.com. So reach out to us um, or, you know, find any of us on Instagram. Say, hey, I want to know more about this. We'd be happy to, happy to, happy to, happy to talk to you. Can I plug one thing? Yeah. Yeah. There was a huge, fantastic Women in Luthery exhibition happening in May at Potter Violins yeah. in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And Robin Sullivan is uh, helming that and uh, taking care of all the details. We're there to support her. But there's going to be dozens of instruments and bows from all over the world hosted at our shop. Then they're going to move to the Ruining shop space in Manhattan, I believe, uh, in New York. But they'll also be available in Boston. Um, and Chrissy Ballinger, who is the tiniest superhero I know, um, is doing that end of it. Um, and it's it's really going to be great. There's going to be a lot of people visiting. So if you guys are into all women in Luthery podcasts, guess what? <laughs> We've got the physical edition for you. <laughs> So check out the website on Potter Violins. Check in with Robin Sullivan, R. Sullivan Violins, uh, on Instagram. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Stay tuned for our coda. Um, we recorded some extra material with Gerard Kilbride, who did the bridge competition when our bridge episode back in September. And um, there are uh, there's lots of really beautiful stuff online if you go to violinbridges.co.uk where his website is hosted you can also buy bridge making books or get the 2024 calendar of carved bridges Woo. so <laughs> stick around <laughs> thanks Bye. for being part of team omo Bye. <laughs> As we reminisce on five years of OMO, a reminder that Learning Trade Secrets is looking forward to their seventh season. Over the years, and with their own struggle through COVID, LTS has remained one of the standards when it comes to adding to your luthier skill set, even when their classes were a backyard affair. This year, however, Learning Trade Secrets is in a fantastic new facility with room for more learning, more students, more classes taught by leaders in the industry. This year, they add to their roster Kristen Siegfried Ballinger and Greg Sapp, bringing their knowledge to students worldwide. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait to register. Check the website today at learningtradesecrets.com to view the course lineup, dates, and availability. Better learn your trade today. Homo sapiens, I have with me here today Jackson Maberry, maker of J.G. McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnish. So I have purchased bottles of McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnish. I've got another one on the way today, in fact. Oh, nice. I need to know what's the best way to store it so it lasts as long as possible. 
I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, that's something that goes overlooked, I think, at times. So varnish, oil varnish, at least, uh, cures through oxidation, uh, as does the oleoresinous ground, of course, being a sort of specialized varnish. The tintura, as an oxidizer itself, is also keen to react with the oxygen in the air that we breathe. So to preserve these, as well as any oil varnish, whether you bought it from someone else or made it yourself, it's best to keep them just tightly sealed unless you're actively pouring some out for use. Um, displacing the air in the bottles with a neutral gas, like, uh, like nitrogen, for example, before storing is also really helpful. And believe it or not, you can find uh, little spray cans of paint preserver uh, online and in lots of art and hardware stores. So you just spray a little bit in there uh, and then quickly put on the cap and it's displaced all your oxygen. Mind blown, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the ticket. Wow. Okay. Out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because I haven't been using, I've just used such little quantities. Sure. Cool. Yeah. And like, that's, that's, you know, where you can get into trouble over time is if you're just using a little bit here and there, you're opening the cap many, many times, letting fresh air in there to allow the oxygen to get absorbed. So uh, that, that oxygen blocker is, uh, is a good ticket. That's awesome. Get your JG McIntosh rosin and oil varnish and other varnishing supplies today by visiting woodfinishingenterprises.com. Search McIntosh. A special thanks to House of Note, a luthier-owned violin shop in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, for their support of this episode of OMO. While covering the many demands that we deal with in this industry, from restoration to repairs for players at all levels, House of Note wants you makers to know they sell quite a few modern maker instruments and bows. If you've just done your final setup for your violin and you're looking to hang it in a shop that understands new instruments, look no further than House of Note. Check them out today at houseofnote.com. This is Mr. This is Dakota. Well, hey, we're here with Jared Kilbride. I keep saying Gerard, but it's actually Jared uh, Kilbride, who is from Wales. And he is a graduate of the Newark School of Violin Making, runner of the International Violin Bridges Competition, and has the famous website, violinbridges.co.uk. That's violinbridges.co.uk. That's a lovely plug there. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, how's it going? It's going well, and it is a real, real pleasure to meet you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I'm thrilled to have you on the episode. I have been perusing your site for years now, as have many others, and we couldn't be more grateful for the effort that you put into it. I know, but you know, it started off with such a simple idea and then became quite a monster at the time. I, I only thought I'd probably have 50 bridges at the time when I started. And I, what, what, I think there's 1,250 bridges up at the moment. So you just think, yeah, maybe oh, it was a good idea at the time, but maybe I should have rethought it a bit. <laughs> maybe added an extra room onto your shop yeah, for yeah, all the storage. Yeah. So tell me, just you mentioned the word start. How did this start? Uh, it's a kind of crazy. It started a long time when I was back in Newark, which is sort of 89, somewhere around there. And uh, we were doing the setup year um, and we were doing bridges. And a, a, a colleague of mine, Klaus Klepper, he's from Munich, um, he was doing 
bridge after bridge after bridge. And we were going, what, what are you doing this for? And he said, I, you know, I want to change the mass. I want to see what the difference in the sound is. And we were all going, yeah, come on, a bridge is a bridge. Come on, and they're all the same. And actually, you know, we were totally blown away by just 0.2 of a gram and changes in where you, uh, in the, in, in the areas of the bridge that you take that out, how that would change the sound of, of the, the exact same violin. So from there on in, I was kind of hooked, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I went quite quickly after I left college, I got a job in a large violin shop here in the southeast. And and then within a few years or 10 years or something, you know, I'd cut over a thousand bridges, you know. And so, wow. um, uh, and I was just really, and every time I'd cut another bridge and I'd be thinking, I wonder what you could do here. How, what would this do? What would that do? Sort of thing. So a lot, a lot of experimentation and really, I think at the time, bridges were trash. You know, people always have a drawer of old bridges. And I just thought at the time, oh, wouldn't it be great? The internet is new. This is a perfect opportunity. We could just, I, somebody would take photos of them and measure them and upload them. And then I realized that was going to be me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and then I got I got the help of lots of um, people that I work for. They sent me all their drawers full of trash bridges. You know, and it came up with some absolute gems of a uh, uh, history really uh, you know fast, just amazing and i am a self-confessed bridge nerd i'm afraid i i will join you in that pew uh absolutely uh just looking through your archive it's amazing to see the little kind of circles that start being formed of like absolutely lineage you know yeah no i that's one of the hidden parts of the archive project that i've been doing for years um which is of what school, and you know, I can almost tell who worked for who, what, where they went to school, influences from just by looking through how stylistically bridges have changed over the years, and 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 again, that's fascinating. And also, the type of woods used over, you know, early bridges never used figured wood at all. You know, flex really? wood that just didn't happen, wow. and sort of, and that sort of appeared, you know, eighteen fifty onwards, and sort of, and and again, it's really fascinating. You can trace that, and you can trace who worked for who. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know that's it's a bit like violins, isn't it? You start looking at scrolls or any part of the violin when you look at one, you think they're all the same, and then a thousand later you're still <laughs> learning, really. Yeah, and it's the self-expression of the soul, you know. That's the other thing. Uh, this this whole thing about the competition, the competition was born in lockdown. Um, oh, it's an interesting. Patrick Henry, a Taiwan, a friend of mine, ten years ago, I mentioned I was going to. I'd quite like to do a uh, coffee table book of the bridges because I, you know, I just thought they would present well. Yeah. And he he reminded me in lockdown that this I'd said this about ten years ago, and the whole idea was born from that really the whole competition really? and the book idea. And uh, yeah, the, so the competition I see is it is a, a celebration. It's a celebration of our our art and self expression. You know, you see somebody cut a fantastic bridge. And I, I can see the soul of the person who made it. I know that sounds crazy, but um, you can see, you know, artistic flair and skill levels, and it's all there in a bridge in this tiny little piece of wood. So with the bridge competition, tell me how that works for those out there who have not heard of this. Again, this is kind of born in lockdown, and I was thinking of ways – you know, we were, well, we're here for me. All work stopped. All my restoration work, all my making work stopped, and so I had a lot of time on my hands. And I'm sure a lot of other people did. And I just felt, you know, in in the world at the time, we needed to find something to celebrate. 
Yeah. So that was the, one of the primary concerns. As I just thought, and it was a great. I'm a I'm a projects person. I love projects and I love ideas. And I just thought, and I always pursue them until somebody says, "No, you can't do that." You know, I'll come up with this idea, <laughs> and I'll keep banging on doors. And when somebody says, "No, you can't do that," then I'll stop. But you know, with this one, it kept going and kept running. And I just thought, wouldn't it be brilliant to to start a competition? put it out there mainly on the internet and social media because it was we nobody could meet you know we nobody was meeting nobody was playing and i thought it would just be a lovely way to celebrate the art of violin making which is kind of uh which doesn't happen very often i don't think you know so no. it's, and, and it's a hidden part of the violin setup is such a fine art and oh, yet man. most people will only notice it if it, if it feels wrong if it's out you know of sorts, yeah. Yeah, if a, if a player picks up an instrument, they're going to notice a sharp fingerboard. But if you've done a fingerboard absolutely beautifully, they won't notice it. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those funny things. Um, so, yeah, so that's how the idea came about. And and also it was kind of the archive, the Vine and Bridge project. It's been going, I think, it's 16, 17 years. And it was, an, it was an, another way to feed into the archive because I had an awful lot of historic bridges and I'd seen an awful lot of historic bridges. But because of the nature of bridges, you don't get to see an awful lot of contemporary makers and modern work. And so this was, you know, it had a, a side knock-on effect that the archive was then producing, um, I was inputting modern makers' work, which is interesting, you know, and how that was developed over the time. As a person sitting over here across the pond, watching it all go down, I think what I found most interesting is how vastly different some of the bridges are, not only that are entered, but that are winning. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. And, and you know what I did was, uh, I, I, you know, the bridge project has has got a huge international following, and and some very lovely um, supporters and, and followers. And so what I did was I contacted some of those long-term supporters and and discussed the idea of the, the competition and what they felt about it and and so Roberto Ragazzi who's been a long-term follower he, and he's been a judge in international violin makers you know he's a fantastic um lineage he's he's you know and an, an amazingly generous chap he said you know he would help with the guidelines and so then I approached Michael Darton again who's a follower of the bridges and the project and he said he'd become a judge and then i i got a ewan thompson who's a maker in scotland of who's another supporter and and ralph plum as well who's a he was a restorer like myself mainly to the trade so he'd done thousands of bridges you know this is the you know makers makers make you know whatever 100 200 bridges perhaps if they're only making in their lifetime right if you think about it that way whereas restorers well, you know, thousands. I'm sure Michael Darton has done thousands as well, you know. Um, and so I wanted to get a variety of judges from all around the world. And, you know, I was really fortunate that they've all given their time, they've all given their support, and they continue to support it. People send their bridges to uh, us, and then those the judges then look at the bridges, and then they mark them on a predefined criteria. Uh, and then what happens is, like in every competition, uh, you get ones that stand out, and then there are, you know, and so, and they become the winners within the categories. Gotcha. Um, it's very interesting, is what one of the judges, um, you and I'm sure you won't mind me telling me, when he saw Greg Sapp's cello bridge, he said he wept. It was so beautiful. Wow. 
and you kind of yeah. think no uh, i get it though it was absolutely he just said it was just mind-blowing he just saw this bridge and the concept of it was just um, stunning and i i gotta admit um i love shlomo moyar's work from israel uh he, yeah. and his work is just i think it's just quite radical it's almost like art deco in it's in in its conception in the way that it's cut is immaculate and and you know just things like that when i saw that bridge i was i i think i was blown away i think my legs went wobbly <laughs> completely i mean it's a it's a very different approach but 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 the the essence of the bridge is there like the uh the the primary parts you know the yeah, way yeah, that yeah. the bridge should move but then those aesthetics that are allowing the maker and the artist to come through it just yeah. he really shined an exceptional conception, you know, an, ex- yeah. an immaculately done, immaculate, and you just yeah. and and you and that sort of, and and again, what amazes uh, still amazes me is the the quality of work that comes from them all over is just amazing, and you know, it's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, uh, and I think it's a real something I want to fly the flag and be really proud about and say to everybody, this is you know, look, this is what we're doing. Isn't this brilliant? I'm I'm so glad you're doing it. So you're in the middle of the third competition. It closes in two weeks. It's a bit late for this because yeah, and that's, <laughs> by the time we go live, it will have been closed for a couple of weeks. So yeah, and so we we will have hopefully the all the results will be out in October. Fantastic. Uh, and I normally try and time that for when Mundo Music and Cremona is on, um, and so that's what that's what we do. So I have a busy month when it closes because everything gets photographed, everything gets uploaded. All it has to, all the judges have to see them and mark them, and then we all talk about it in the background. So it's quite a busy month. Then. Very good. So will there be a twenty twenty four? I yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I'd like to. Think, I mean, I've managed, and I'm really again really fortunate to get some great sponsors behind us. Um, you know, Teller from Germany have been a major support of the competition and the archive for years. Uh, same with Dictum and um, and this year we've managed to get Despu and Barca and Yaga Strings. I mentioned them all um, and Wachal and they're all supporting the competition. And I think as long as I've got the support and people are still interested in sending bridges and taking part and interested in the project, I'll continue it, I think. Fantastic. I think it's I I think it's a good thing. I, I don't think I'd do it if I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and judging by your uh, enthusiasm, I I feel like I can rest assured that you're not going to be taking down the website anytime soon, correct? Well, no, I no. And the other thing, we were talking to um, the Smithsonian. They got in touch. Wonderful. And they were really interested because there is a legacy thing that I think the project. You know, people have told me that the project is bigger than me and that's fair enough so when i'm not around which is going to happen you know what happens to the project and that collection and all the data and things so we've talked to this or i've talked to the smithsonian and we had discussed about them taking it over taking over all the the collection of bridges which is quite substantial and all the data from the websites and they were very keen on having some form of a permanent collection Again, it's very early days, and I don't know how that works, but it's something that we're exploring, and I'm really keen to do, I think. Well, that's exciting that it's got a life um, that hopefully continues, and hopefully you don't have to worry about that for quite a long time, but um, it is something good to think about. 
Jared, uh, for all of the folks out there, you have two books that are you call coffee table books about violin bridges. I highly recommend them. It's oh, a great thanks. study. Um, get one for yourself. Get one for your luthiers. Um, and for your guests who come over for cocktails and coffee, whatever you're serving up, all right? It's certainly the most weirdest books they'll see that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a real pleasure to have you on, and um, we hopefully we can get you back sometime. Yeah, I'd love to, love to. All right, thanks so much. Take care. Take care, Brandon. Cheers, man. OMO is an all-luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Brandon Godman, Jason Peoples, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening. <laughs>